So last week, uh, we started talking about joy, and uh, the reason I think it's really important and the reason that I, I wanted to talk about this and really just felt down in my heart that this is really what we needed to be talking about in this season. Uh, the reason we're talking about joy is because happiness isn't enough. And, and if you've lived any time at all, you know that happiness has never been enough and you suspect that happiness isn't enough in the moment and you can project in the future and you can know that happiness will never be enough. Joy, however, is different. Uh, the very nature and essence of joy, it's different. Joy isn't contingent on what happens. Joy is impervious to life. Uh, joy doesn't consume itself or mind itself with what's happening. Uh, joy is not contingent upon circumstances. Joy is not, you know, based on, you know, whether it's good or bad or somewhere in the middle. Joy is impervious to life. And the great thing about joy is it can face both sides of life. Uh, joy is for the bright side of life and the dark side of life. Uh, joy is the thing that allows you and allows me to withstand the weight of stress. Uh, we've all got stress. Uh, this season has brought lots of stress, and, and stress comes in lots of different ways uh, from lots of different directions, and it's a little bit different for everybody, but at the end of the day, stress is stress, and you need joy and I need joy to withstand the weight of stress, to withstand the demands of your life and my life, the pressure, the pain, the disappointments, because every single one of us in our life experience, those things are just part of the experience. There's stress, there's weights, there's pressure, there's disappointments, there's pain, there's all of that stuff. You just can't avoid it. You can't control it. It's gonna happen sooner or later. It knocks at our door sooner or later. But joy, joy is an unassailable wall to life. Life cannot scale over the wall of joy and joy refuses to forfeit itself in the face of the worst that life can throw at us. Joy is the thing that helps you smile. Uh, you've lot, noticed a lot of people, they just don't smile anymore. And the reason they don't smile is because they don't have joy in their heart. Uh, the scripture is very clear. We, we talked about it last week. You have joy down here, it shows up on your face. If it never shows up on your face, you don't have it down here. So that's a good indicator. You, you got a mirror at home. You, you can just about know. Ask your spouse. Ask your spouse how much you smile. Ask your spouse how much you laugh. Ask your coworkers how much you smile or how much you laugh. And it's an indicator of how much joy you have down in your heart because joy can smile. Joy finds a way to laugh. Joy finds a way to enjoy life even when life, as we would say, life just isn't good. So we said it's essential, but it's optional. It's your choice and it's my choice and we should all choose joy because it keeps you and me from taking everyone and everything too seriously. Because we got too many of those types of people inside the church. We got too many of those types of pastors. We have too many of those type of Christians. Everybody taking everything and everyone too seriously. Joy is the thing that will help you resist the tendency to sacrifice your sense of humor, to sacrifice your ability to have a good time on the altars of adulthood, you ever notice children, they laugh, they smile, it's just part of it. But something happens as we grow up. We think that becoming an adult is turning in our sense of humor. Becoming an adult is something that doesn't allow us to smile or find laughter anymore. So we sacrifice joy on the altar of adulthood or sophistication or spirituality. You know, I'm just, I'm just such a good Christian. I, I, everything's so serious. It's, it's all about God. It's all about the glory of God. And I'm so excited about the glory of God. I'm not excited about anything. And, and we, we've all seen that. We've all encountered that version of Christianity. But it's joy that even right now, 
when everybody is bickering and fighting and insulting and finding new reasons to hate one another. Joy is the thing that will allow you and me to savor both the simple and the sublime moments of life because joy keeps us present in the present. That's how it works. We're not thinking about yesterday and what went wrong or once upon a time how right it was and we're not consumed with tomorrow because we don't even know if tomorrow's gonna come or not. Joy keeps us present in the present. It keeps us conscious of the moments that we need to celebrate and remember. Uh, it refuses to miss the moments that we should celebrate because of the intensity or the pace or the demands of life because if you don't watch out, you'll blow right past it. If we don't watch out right in the middle of our life, we will miss those moments that we should toast, that we should celebrate, and that we should never forget. We'll just blow right past it. We'll be too busy, we'll be too stressed, we'll be too freaking out on the inside, worried about everything that's going on in America, everything that's going on in Frankfurt, everything that's going on everywhere. We'll be so freaked out, we'll just blow past life and we'll lose the ability to celebrate it. And that's where joy steps in. It's a new way of thinking, it's a new way of living, it's a new way of feeling. I was mowing grass uh, the other evening, that's, that's my new COVID-19 hobby. Uh, back in March, I decided I'm gonna start mowing my own grass and, and I've enjoyed every single moment of it. It just, I just couldn't, I, it just felt like bad stewardship to, to keep on paying somebody to mow my grass. I can mow grass now, I've got two boys, that means free labor. And, and so, you know, that's why, you know, parents always think of their children at some point as they stop being, you know, cute and lovable and they become workable. And, and it's like, okay, it's time it's time for you to to do something and so you know I go outside and I'll mow the grass and and there's parts that I have to weed eat and I, I can't say that I enjoyed that part but but I, I bought Shepard a little battery powered weed eater because it's light enough for him he can he can weed eat some of the ditch and and all of that and Grayson Grayson he he's a great weed picker and he he, he just uh, he does his job and so I, I turned him loose and then I said okay here I need you to do these three things and you know the big thing being I need you to push all those rocks back into the landscape bed. I don't even know how they get loose. I don't know how they get out every week, but those rocks just always end up on the sidewalk. They always end up in the grass. Pick them all up one by one, put them in there. And when you put them back, if you see any grass, if you see anything that shouldn't be growing there, pick it up and throw it away. And so I was mowing and I was watching and they had moved from the front of the house to the back of the house and I'm just mowing, I've got things to do. This is the only evening I've got. Allison's on the way home. I'm trying to get done before she gets there. And, and, and I'm watching them as I'm mowing. I've got my earbuds in and so I'm listening to a sermon and I'm watching them and, and, and then I notice that they finish the job. I can't hear what they're saying. I, I, I have no idea what they're saying, but I watched them. They stood up and, and they just, they put their hands on their hips and they just looked at that, that flower bed. And then Grayson put his arm around Shepard and laid his head over there on his shoulder. And I just imagine I'm like, they're appreciating what they just did. And I just stopped, I, I just stopped. I, I stopped the mower, I didn't turn it off. And I just, I said to myself, this is life. This is living. If I don't choose to find joy in this moment, I'm gonna blow right past it. I've got things to do, I've got people to see, I've got places to go. I've got a demanding job, I've got lots of responsibilities, but, but I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna savor this moment because that's what joy does. Something as simple as that, because one day that's not gonna be the case. One day they're not even gonna be around and one day they're not even gonna wanna even think about hugging each other. So I'm gonna take this moment in and I'm gonna enjoy this because that's what joy does. Uh, we went out outside the other night with some friends to have dinner and it, it was cool. 
and it was thundering and it was lightning and the sky was just illuminated every couple of minutes and we just stopped for a moment and said, wow, isn't this great? Isn't this wonderful? Wasn't it spiritual? But yet it was. It was a moment where we tap into the joy that God wants us to have. It's stopping long enough to appreciate what God has put right in front of our face that we so often miss. So last week we talked about have some friends, pray for them and tell them how much they mean to you. If you do that, joy will begin to be a reality in your life. Today, I wanna to talk about something that will kill, steal and destroy our joy faster than anything else. Faster than anything else. It's this right here. It's wrong beliefs. Wrong beliefs. Uh, we all pretty much, I think, understand, or at least we would say we would understand that beliefs are consequential. I don't understand when Christians say, well, I'm not into theology. I, I don't, I'm not really into, you know, like doctrine. I'm not really into what the Bible's teaching. Yeah, just Jesus. It's just Jesus. Just, well, that's stupid. And, and because beliefs are consequential. Beliefs are consequential. You know that. Everything that is theological is ultimately practical. Everything you believe about what you can see or what you can't see has very much to do with how you live among the things that you can see. Your beliefs, my beliefs are extremely consequential. So every person should pay attention to their beliefs. Pay attention to what you believe because they matter. Your beliefs are not benign. What you believe, it matters, especially what you believe about God, what you believe about people, what you believe about life, and what you believe about you. Those things are the most important thing about you. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you because out of your beliefs about God will flow your thoughts and feelings and responses to people. Out of your beliefs and ideas and feelings about God will flow how you process, encounter, experience, and think about life. The dark side of life. The difficult moments of life. This is where you're gonna make sense or not make sense of suffering. This is where you are gonna make sense or not make sense of why bad things and good people, why they always collide with each other. Your belief about God will flow into your belief about people, about life, and ultimately it will shape how you feel about you. And how you feel about you also flows in the other direction because how you feel about you has a lot to do with how you feel about your life, has a lot to do with how you feel about people, and ultimately a lot about how you think and see and feel about God. So this is a big deal. You get off on God, you get the wrong beliefs about God, get off track with God, guess what? You're gonna get off track with people. You're gonna encounter people in a way that you shouldn't encounter people. You're gonna feel about people in a way that you shouldn't feel about people. You're gonna think about people in a way that you shouldn't think about people. And it's all because of how you view and process God. Same thing with life. When life happens, when life slaps you upside the face, if you're off track on your ideas about God, you're not gonna know what to make sense of. You're not gonna know how to process that. You're not gonna know how to encounter that or how to respond to it. In the same way, again, it comes back to you because out of our beliefs about God flows every other thought and feeling that we have to wrestle with in life. So you gotta make sure, and I gotta make sure that we are right on God because that helps us get aligned with everything else in life. And so here's the idea. What I believe about God, what I believe about life, what I believe about you and what I believe about myself makes joy either impossible or possible. And we see this in the life of the Apostle Paul because that's who we're talking about in this series. And in one particular letter that he wrote from prison in Rome to a group of Christians in Philippi, we call it the book of Philippians. And even though he's writing from prison and even though his resume, it's had its bright spots, but it's also had its dark spots, he's writing from prison about joy. So he has the credibility. 
uh, we should lean in and listen. We should take that man seriously. He's in jail, he's talking about how to have joy. He's giving us insight about how he's maintained his joy. He's not forfeited it along the way. He got pelted with rocks. He didn't forfeit his joy. He got left for dead. He didn't forfeit his joy. All of his friends walked away. No one stood with him, he said, but he didn't forfeit his joy. At times the world must have seemed like it was falling apart and going to hell in a handbasket, but he didn't forfeit his joy. He got arrested in prison for no wrong that he had committed and he refused to forfeit his joy. So as he writes this letter, he's gonna give us some insight to what he believed about God, what he believed about people, what he believed about life and what he believed about himself. And it, it was those beliefs that kept him in a place and a posture of joy. So listen to what he says in a verse that all of us have heard once upon a time. He says, I am certain, I am certain that God, so th this is what he believes about God, who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. This is his confidence. You, you may remember this verse from he that has begun a good work in you will complete it, you know, until the day of Jesus Christ. You know, you've heard this verse before. Maybe you've read this verse before. You've heard sermons about this verse. You've seen this on a coffee mug or a t-shirt or on a little, you know, graphic on social media. You, you are familiar with these words. But I want you to think about these words. Listen to his confidence. I am certain, I'm settled, I'm persuaded. There's no second guessing. I'm not crossing my fingers. This is what I know to be true about God. And the thing that he knew to be true about God helped him deal with the moment that he was living in. What he knew to be true about God, it shaped the way that he thought about the Philippians and the way that he thought about the jailer that he was connected to. It, it changed the way that he thought about his enemies or the people that had aligned themselves as enemies against him. It changed the way he thought about himself. And so instead of just blowing past this, let's just camp out here for a moment. Let's, let's dig in a little bit and let's try to learn from this because this is simple, but this is profound. When we think about it for a moment, we say, okay, God, what is it that I learned from this? What is it that I see happening here? What is it that I can take away that's really gonna make a difference in my life? Well, here's one thing I think Paul's saying. God is working on you. That's what I can know. God is working on me. God is working on you. That's what you can know. God is working on you. You may not see it. Uh, you may not feel it. You may not even believe it. But in this moment, God is working on you. God has been working on you. God will continue working on you. He has started a good work. He says, I am confident that God who started a good work. So God is working on you right now in this moment. And the question should be working to do what? What is the good work? What is God trying to do? He's trying to make you more like Jesus. He's trying to make me more like Jesus. He's trying to align my worldview, my disposition, my attitude, my values, my choices. And he's trying to align all of that into what we see and know about Jesus. Now, Bible students, they call this sanctification. We don't use that word a lot, but that, that's maybe you've heard it before. That's what it is. The act of sanctification is God doing a work in you and God doing a work in me and God is making you and God is making me more like Jesus. The New Testament talks about this over and over again and talks about it in lots of different ways. Uh, Paul referred to it in Galatians chapter five as the fruit of the spirit. He says, the spirit of God is in you. You're a follower of Jesus. The spirit of God's in you. The spirit of God is working in you to produce fruit, love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance. Against such, Paul would say, there are no laws what are the fruit of the Spirit other than a high definition picture of Jesus? 
Who else is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and the likes? It's Jesus. So what is God trying to do in you? Produce fruit. Uh, Paul would also say in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that we're being transformed from one level of glory to another, from glory to glory to glory. One level of reflection of God's glory to another. That means that we're in this process where God is revealing and reflecting more of his glory in and through your life. In the New Testament, it's called the perfecting of our faith. Uh, Romans 8 refers to it as being conformed to the image of God's dear son. John 15, Jesus said, hey, you're the branch, I'm the vine. And it's going to be the life of the vine that's pushed out through the life of the branch that produces fruit. And without me, you can do nothing. That's what Jesus is describing. What is that fruit? What is that life that exhibits itself and expresses itself in the branch? It's being more like Jesus. Ephesians 4, Paul talked about putting off the old man, putting on the new man. Galatians 2, he said, it's like being crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. It's not I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me and through me. It's Jesus in Luke 9 who said, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. It's all different ways of saying the same thing. When you follow Jesus, you are becoming more like Jesus. Following Jesus, the point of following Jesus is that you are becoming more like Jesus. So Paul, this is, this is important. Don't, don't let me lose you. Paul saw all of life. He viewed all of life as a process. And so when he talked to those Christians in Philippi, he said, you know what? I'm, 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 what can I write to them? What can I say to them? He says, God started a good work in you. It's not over yet. You're in process. You. Me, we, we are in process. God is doing a work in us. Second thing we get out of this is that God never gives up on you. God never gives up on me. God never gives up on us. He that started a good work will what? Finish it. So even at your worst moment, even when you're being the worst version of yourself, God does not give up on you. You may give up on you. I might give up on me. Other people may give up on us. But God, he will not, cannot, has decided to never give up on you. He started a good work. And he's going to see it through. He's not going to abandon the work that he started in you. Now, this is where joy comes from. Because I realize God's not going to give up on me no matter what. He's the potter, I'm the clay, and when I'm not very cooperative and when I'm not very moldable, he doesn't throw the clay away. No, he just keeps on working it because he has every confidence in his ability to mold you and mold me into what he wants you and me to be. He doesn't discard us. He doesn't keep score like we do. And this is where we project on God how we feel about each other. Somebody crosses us. Somebody disappoints us. Somebody says something. Somebody didn't show up. Somebody didn't call. Somebody didn't text. Somebody didn't respond. They didn't do what we thought they should do. And we keep the score. And it's always in there. And most of the time, most of us were just so immature, it's always factoring into how we're dealing with each other. It's in there, it's deep. It's the mature person who can let things go. It's the mature person who can get over it. But that's the exception, seems like, not the rule. But we, we keep score. We kind of get a little petty. We kind of get a little immature and all of a sudden the way we are, we assume that's the way God is. And so we assume that God's kept score on every single thing, every little failed opportunity, everything we said should have said no to, that we said yes to and vice versa. And that moment, that night, that weekend, that dinner, that, that season, that first college year, and we can't get past it. We don't get over it. We keep the score and we assume God does as well, but God said, I'm not like you. 
Matter of fact, in this regard, I'm nothing like you. God says you need to be confident that God never gives up on you, that nothing can separate you from God's love, nothing can separate you from his presence. He, he looks at us and he doesn't see us as failures, though I, I got a feeling, I got a sneaky suspicion for those of us who grew up in faith, we struggle with sometimes feeling like failures. We feel like we just don't measure up and it's like, why are we surprised that we don't when the scripture told us we didn't? We all fell short of the glory of God. We continue to fall short of the glory of God and we are in process. How different it is to approach life that way. How different is it to think about God that way, to think about other people that way, to think about ourselves. That when God looks at you and God looks at me, he doesn't see you as a failure, though you may feel like one. He doesn't look at me as a failure, though I may feel like one. And though I may feel like I'm losing in the bottom of the knife and I've kept scoring, I'm like, I don't know how I can get ahead. God's not thinking about anything like that. God sees you as a work in progress. He sees you in a process that he is in complete control of. We talk about opening the door for joy. We love to think about singularities. That one moment, that one decision, that one time, that, that one year, oh my gosh, that that one decade, you know, we just think in singularities and, and we start adding up the value of our life in these little singularities. But God doesn't think in terms of singularity. God thinks in terms of trajectory. God knows those singularities. He was there. He knew full well about it. He, he gave you grace to get past it. But he's thinking about the trajectory that you're on and you're in process. He's doing something in your life. And this brings it to the third thing. God will finish his work on you. He's gonna finish it. You will be who God wants you to be. One day we will all be who God wants us to be. That takes some pressure off. That takes some of the weight uh, of frustration that sometimes some of us we associate faith with because we're a little bit legalistic and we're a little bit about keeping the rules rather than our relationship. We're trying to do harder and do better. But he says, no, no, when you're thinking about God the right way, listen, God's gonna finish the work. He says he's gonna finish it until the day of Jesus Christ's return. Now, Christians, I know a lot of Christians, I don't know why this is, a lot of Christians freak out when you start talking about the second coming of Jesus. Christians believe that just as sure as Jesus came the first time, Jesus is gonna come the second time. If you believe that, say, I do. Okay, Jesus is coming back the second time. Christians have a way of just making that whole thing just absolutely freaktastic. Corn shortage. Mark of the beast, face mask, 666. And it's like, Christians, rise up, we gotta stop this. I'm like, the second coming? You're gonna stand in the way of Jesus? How are you gonna change that, bro? I mean, Christians, we just get a little wacky when it comes to the second coming. And some Christians get super scared and you know, it comes back from youth group, you know. Remember Friday night when you're at the park in that car, you don't be doing anything you don't wanna be doing when Jesus comes back. That lasted a few minutes. And we just had this idea in our head like, oh, this, this terrible thing. And Paul says, no, it's gonna be a great thing. Because when Christ Jesus comes back, you're gonna have a new body that will never die. A body that will never have pain, a body that will never know disappointment, that will never know fear, that will never know disease, that will never decay. You'll have a new body. You will live in a brand new world, the new world to come, where all your weaknesses, all your struggles, all my limps, all my failures, all my insecurities, all my sin, gone forever. 
We're made flawless like Jesus. So we're but a fraction of who we're going to be. But Paul seems to say, you know what God's saying? That's okay. (laughs) I'm going to take my time. I'm patient. I'm going to keep working on you. I'm not giving up on you. This is going to take some time. But I'm cheering you on every step of the way, your heavenly father would say. Every step along the way, this is good. This is worth you coming and worth you watching today. Every step of your life is but a step in the process. And because every step of our life is but a step in the process, that says to me and says to you and confirms that every step we take is a step of purpose. If every step is part of the process, then every step is a step with purpose in it. 1 John 3, 2. Brothers and sisters, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be made like him. We're going to be made like Jesus. Flawless. Or as Paul would say, like a bride adorned without wrinkle and without fault. That's who we're going to be. And that changed the way that Paul thought about people. That changed the way that Paul thought about himself. All because of what Paul knew to be true about God. God's not giving up on you. He's doing a work in you. He's not giving up on you. And he's going to finish that work in you. Imagine if we began to look around and see life and people, each other, ourselves that way. We are all in process. Hey, everybody right here in London, everybody online, Somerset, Williamsburg, on three. Let's all say this out loud. One, two, three. We are all in process. One more time like we believe it. We are all in process. <laughs> I was reminded of this in a really painful way this week. I, I was in my study here at the church and, and I was up under this couch and there was a briefcase. Well, briefcases, they've been out for a while. You may have one, God bless you, and I'm sure it's a really good reason why you still carry it. But, but this briefcase, I mean, it was old school. And I was thinking, man, what, what in the world? And I opened it up and CDs and cassettes, just, they just were overflowing. So I couldn't find a CD player in this building. Not a single solitary CD. So I had to go out to my, to my car. And so I turned it on. And I stuck this CD in the first one that I came to. And, and this, is, this, this, this is what I heard. Just. No, it's not what I heard. <laughs> I put the CD in. I don't have a copy of the Word of God. I turned the volume up. throw some of the verses up on the screen. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. While you're finding your place... I just want to go on record about something. I have the privilege of getting to pastor the greatest church in the world and some of the greatest people who worked hard to minister to other people who take time to practice, take time to pray, take time to uh, encourage each other, also that we can impact other people. And I appreciate every single person that had something to do with what's went on today. Okay, enough. It only gets worse. See, who is that? That's me, bro. I don't even know what happened. That's circa 2006. I listened to that in the car, and I was like, I don't feel like I've improved. 
Like if you had asked me at the beginning of this day, hey, have you gotten any better as a preacher? I would have said, no, not really. I don't even, I kind of feel like I'm just about where I was when I got started. But I'm telling you, I found a brand new robust self-esteem after I listened to that CD. <laughs> I was like, who are these people to hire this guy? Like, I don't even recognize my own voice. And here's, here's my point because I'm telling you, I could take you back to some of the things that I used to say, or I'm telling you, I've, I looked at our church in the early days, and it was about 25 of us there on a Sunday night, and I was trying to make a really great point out of Galatians 5 about the Holy Spirit convicting us, and you know, every time we step outside of the lines, you know, it's God's little umpire, and it kind of lets us know, and I was trying to make this really great illustration about, you know, when your fuel tank gets low in your car, and your car goes ding dong, ding dong, and I looked at the church, all 25 of them, the, the salt of the earth, and I looked at them and said, you know what would make you all better? Christians if every single one of you had a little ding-dong. I can tell you, I've not said that in a long time. So it's progress. I've been in process and I didn't even realize it. Here's my point. You may not feel like you're better. You may not feel like you're advancing. You may not feel like you're maturing. You may not feel like on any given day that you're making any headway. But sometimes you just can't see how far you've come. Sometimes you just can't know how much God has already done in you and how much God is doing in you. Sometimes we can't feel the progress that we are experiencing in the process. But that's okay. God is committed to seeing this thing through. And, and really what we take away from this is, in my opinion, I'm not there yet, neither are you, so let's cut each other some slack. Right? You cross me, I cross you, I disappoint, I say something you can't believe, you do something I can't believe. What do we wanna do? We, we wanna, mm, we wanna write off, we want X, we just move on, forget. Let's cut each other some slack. You're in process, and guess what? So am I. That is how we keep joy. Paul wasn't betting on the Philippians. Paul was betting on God in the life of the Philippians. And the process, the process is not easy. It's different for each one of us. Some of us, we move through faster than others. It's okay. But Paul said, be confident of this thing, that God who started a good work in you, he's not gonna give up on you and he's gonna complete it. So don't forfeit your joy to other people. They're in process. Don't fit your, forfeit your joy to your failings. You're in process. Life, it's part of the process. So don't rebel against it. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce, he said this, he said, how clearly this strikes at the heart of the attitudes that divide us from each other. We separate ourselves from others because we believe they're on the wrong track and we are on the right one. They believe wrong or they do the things we regard as wrong and we completely lose sight of the fact that God is as much at work in them as he is in us. Oh, that we might have confidence in God's work in each other. If we did, we would not see each other as those from whom to separate ourselves lest we be contaminated, but as those from whom we can learn and whom we can help along the way. If we can get there, that's joy. That's joy. This is gonna help us not beat ourselves up when we fall down. It's gonna help us realize, man, this is an unfortunate part of the process, but I'm gonna pick myself up. We see somebody else who falls down, oh, man, that's part of the process. Let's, Stick in there, stay in there. God's not giving up on you, don't give up on you. I'm not giving up on you. This type of thinking keeps us moving forward. We cooperate with what God's trying to do rather than fight against it. 
Listen to what he says, and we're wrapping this up. Listen to what he says in chapter two. He says, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it's even more important. Work hard, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Yeah, God's doing the work, but you gotta work hard as well. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. The old uh, translation said, work out your salvation. It's not working for your salvation. It's not working to get God to feel good about you or to get God to love you more. It's working out what God has already worked in. Show the results of your salvation, obeying. So obeying God is a result of God's salvation in your life and my life. Our faith in Jesus is best expressed by our obedience to Jesus. Obedience is a process. Sometimes we're doing bad, sometimes we're doing great. Sometimes we're up, sometimes we're down. He says, with deep reverence and fear. He says, you gotta work this thing out. You gotta do what's right. You gotta do what's good. You gotta do what's right. You gotta do what's good. You gotta obey, even if it's costly. You gotta obey, even when it's difficult. Because when you obey, when you do your work, you are moving in the same direction as God in the process. And you're gonna find progress. Like you can't believe when you move in the same direction as God. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. The willingness that comes before the doing, God says, that's me too. You got everything you need. You don't need anybody to pray over you, to get something extra, to be who God wants you to be. You don't need a second blessing or a third one or a fourth one. You don't need a special touch from on high. When you received Jesus and received his spirit, you received every single thing that you need to be who God wants you to be. Peter would say, 2 Peter chapter one, we have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. Paul would write to the Colossians and say, we are complete in Christ. We lack nothing. You lack nothing. You lack, you are, you are everything you need to be who God wants you to be. You have it all. So you're not lacking anything. You didn't get shortchanged in any way. So just rejoice. When you feel that little urge, when you feel that little prompt, that little desire, I need to start doing this, I probably need to step away from that, I need to, I need to lean in here, pay attention to that. He's working in you. That little whisper, that little tap on the shoulder, hey, think about this. This may not be the best, this may not be the wisest. Pay attention to that, that's him working in you. That's the willingness that comes before the doing. So what do we learn about this? This is it, this is the take home, this is the message. What, what do we learn about all this? Paul would say, claim the promise, trust the process, steward the purpose. If you want joy, claim the promise. He who has started a good work in me will complete it. He who started a good work in me will complete it. Every time you fall down, he that started a good work in me, he will complete it. Every time you blow it, he that started a good work in me will complete it. When life is tough and it's painful and it's uncomfortable, he that started a good work in me will complete it. Claim that promise. Put your confidence in God. He that started a good work in you will perfect it, will complete it, will bring it to fruition before at the day when Jesus Christ returns. So don't lose joy in the process. Trust the process. Isn't that what gym people say all the time? Nutritionists, weight builders, you know, trust the process, trust the process, trust the process, why? Because part of the process is sometimes we feel like it's not working. So here's a diet plan, here's a workout plan. You gotta trust the process because two weeks in, you're gonna look in the mirror and say, I'm not Adonis yet. I, I'm not a superhero figure yet. 
What's wrong? I'm, this is not working. No, trust the process. Don't rebel against it. Don't grow frustrated in it. Understand, God uses life. God uses everything that's happened since March. God uses it. God is either the architect or the allower of everything. And if you don't get that, if we don't understand that, what's happening in our nation, what's happening in Washington, what happens this November is absolutely going to kick you in the gut. And you're going to wring your hands. Sports or no sports? Sports or no sports? How long is this going to last? It's going to kick you in the face. And you're going to forfeit joy every single moment of your life because of what's going on. But let me encourage you with this. It's not going to get better. When it's not this, it's going to be something else. And when it's not the nation, it's going to be your family. And when it's not your family, it's going to be your spouse. And when it's not your spouse, it may be your son or your daughter. Life doesn't let up. Trust the process. It's part of it. It happens to everybody. Life happens to everybody. But God uses life in the life of believers to make us more like Jesus. So trust the process. Don't get discouraged by it or don't get fretful about it. Life is a series of steps. Keep taking a step forward. Keep moving forward. Don't overestimate the power of a moment and underplay the value of years. Don't obsess about the singularity when God is concerned with your trajectory. Don't do it to yourself. When you're discouraged, trust the process. When you're hurting, trust the process. Be like Job. He knows the way that I go. And when I come out of this process, I'm going to be like gold that's been tried by the fire. James and Peter and Paul would all say the same things. Glory in what you're going through because God is doing something. And steward the purpose. Steward the purpose. God's making you more like him. God is putting you in places where you can invite other people to follow him. Every step is part of the process and every step has a purpose. Every single one of them. If any person be in Christ, old things are passing away, all things are becoming new, including you, including me. It is a process of becoming new. It's grace. God is creating a masterpiece and you're it. The Sistine Chapel wasn't painted in a day David was not sculpted in a week. Masterpieces take time. There's a process. And God is making you into a masterpiece. So lighten up. Enjoy life. Enjoy the moment. Don't let it pass you by. There's purpose in it. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. You know what joy is? Joy is knowing that my past is forgiven, my present, has meaning, my future is secure. And when we believe that, confident about that, the moments won't pass us by. We won't fight against the purpose that God has for us in the middle of a process that maybe we just wouldn't have chosen for ourselves. Paul said, that's how you have joy. 
that's how you keep it. That's how you laugh and you smile and you keep your sense of humor when everything's going bad because you know your past has been forgiven, your present has meaning and your future is secure. God's gonna do his work on you. Jesus died on the cross and he said, to tell us die, it is finished. Paid in full. And when Jesus said, it is finished, that was the assurance that the last chapter of your story is gonna be the best chapter of your story. And that the best sentence of your story will be the last sentence of your story. And the last sentence of your story is just the beginning of a story that you cannot even imagine that will never, ever end. So let's breathe a little. Let's relax a little bit. Let's enjoy life. Because when he sees us, he just doesn't see us as we are. He sees you and me as we are gonna be. And if that doesn't bring you a sense of joy, if that doesn't bring me a sense of joy, my past is forgiven. My future has, is secure in my present. It has meaning. There's joy in there. Grab it, hold on to it. Heavenly Father, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if anyone's here, anybody's watching, that's never trusted you to be savior of their life, I pray that in this moment, they would invite you in by faith, receive your gift of grace. It's not who we are and it's not what we've done, it's who you are and it's what you've done for us. So may they receive that gift of grace in this moment. For everybody else, would you just take a moment with your heads bowed and eyes closed online at all of our campuses and would you just ask God to speak to you? Ask God to help you to begin to see him that way, to see other people that way, to see you that way, that we are in process, that everything has purpose. We don't have to fight against it, be discouraged or disillusioned by it. Just for a moment, pause and ask God to do in your heart what needs to be done about what we've talked about today. can't fake joy. It's either there or it's not. May our confidence in you shape our beliefs and feelings about everything else in our life and everyone else in our life. Speak to us. Speak over us in this moment. Remind us that when Jesus announced that it was finished, it's finished for us as well. Our future is settled. It is secure. It is as good as already done. We're going to be made like you. May we feel joy in that. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.